Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Trying to get a beer before or after a Nats game and are unable to get the bartender's attention? Well, Walters has solved that problem and more. Welcome to Walters, where Walters 24 self pour beer wall awaits you. Ask your server for a beer card and hit the beer wall, pay by the ounce, and try a few suds before you settle on your favorite. Follow us on Untapped to get notified of all the new beers we bring in. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the inside corner called strike three. So Patrick Corbin with strikeout number 10. Chavis back in, a little bit forward of the box. Corbin into the wide of the 0-2, swag and a miss! Struck him out with a slider. The tag by Adams on the slider in the dirt for strikeout number 12, matching the career high for Patrick Corbin. He strikes out the side in the top of the eighth inning. The right fielder Castillo much shallower than Reynolds in center. And Sawinski in left, swing and a drive, deep right field. This is going to get over his head, maybe way back. Can't get it. One hop off the wall and in play. Garcia has scored. Hernandez to the plate. He scores on a booming pinch hit. Two-run double for Yadiel Hernandez. And the Nationals have taken the lead again here in the bottom of the eighth inning for the second night in a row. It's Washington three and Pittsburgh one. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, June 29th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Here is how you know that things are better for the Nats right now. Even Patrick Corbin is in on the act. You know, the Nats went into Tuesday night having gotten good starting pitching to varying extents in seven of the team's previous eight games. The exception had been a Patrick Corbin game. That's 7-0 rain-shortened six-inning loss at the Orioles last Wednesday night. Three runs in four innings. He gave up two homers. He gave up a triple. He gave up two doubles. Although he did have six strikeouts versus one walk in that game. He did throw a lot of strikes in that game. Maybe we should have taken the positives from that game as signs of what was to come because Patrick Corbin on Tuesday night was, wait for it, Dominant. Yes, a dominant Patrick Corbin on display on Tuesday night. One run in eight innings, 12 strikeouts, 
Nats won for the sixth time in eight games, 3-1 the final over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park in game two of a three-game series. We, for a second consecutive night, had a two-run eighth for the Nats as they took the lead late in the game once again. Mark, the Nats' schedule has softened, and the Nats now are rising back-to-back series wins. So here's what I'm trying to, in my head, decide. We saw it really hit the low point about 10 days ago or so after they finished that brutal stretch against the Braves and the Phillies and the pitching staff was a mess and said, well, all right, well, if they can just get through this, the schedule will ease up some, and it did. And now all of a sudden you have these dominant pitching performances capped off with this one. They've won six of eight. And so I'm left wondering, okay, who are the real nationals? I don't know that they're as good as this. They're probably taking advantage of some better competition, but they're probably not as bad as they did look a few weeks ago, again, because of who they were facing. So how much of this is really about nationals and how much is about who they're facing? I'm not sure I know the answer to that, except to say this has been a whole lot more enjoyable to watch the last week than what we saw prior to that point. Yeah, I mean, I still would say the Nats are a bad team. I think they're a really bad team, but it is good to not see them getting slaughtered I mean, they were getting slaughtered in some of these series, right? What happened against the Dodgers, what happened against the Mets, what happened against the Braves, you know, some of these losses have been really tough to take in. So at least to see them be competitive here has been nice. And to see the pitching be what it has been for more than a week now has been really nice. And it does offer some hope that, you know, maybe as the season goes on, this pitching can end up being Uh, not the, you know, calamity that it was to begin this season. Like, we are seeing this team pitch pretty well. And I think what's kind of funny, too, is that we're now seeing the Nats hit in the latter innings of games. The Nats this season have been one of the worst teams in the majors when it comes to scoring seventh inning on. That they, the last two games have come through with these two-run eighth innings. It's pretty crazy. The Nats have been like a different team over the last week or so. Well, I mean, the the craziest stat of all, you've got these two games in this series— they are two for 22 with runners in scoring position. But those two hits, both were game-winning, two runs scored on each of them in the bottom of the eighth. And it almost makes you forget about everything else. But I think it ties in with the pitching. If they're not getting this kind of pitching, and now they're trailing four, five to one, whatever, the late innings, they don't have these late inning rallies or they maybe get something going and we're just saying, well, the boys battled, but they didn't come back. So the pitching is giving them a chance. And now they are taking advantage. I mean, they're doing the bare minimum to make it happen, but they are taking advantage late in games. And it is fun to watch because, like you said, this is not at all the kind of team that we've seen this year. So often through the first two plus months, we were saying every game was decided in the fourth or fifth inning, good or bad. And it felt like there was no late game drama. And instead, we're seeing quite a bit of it now. And it's kind of nice for a change uh, to actually, you know, be on the edge of your seat in the eighth and ninth innings. And it's a little more enjoyable of a brand of baseball to watch, is it not? It is. It absolutely is. Uh, Nats now are 29 and 48 on the season. Uh, They are last in the National League East. They do have the second worst record in the NL, and they do still have the worst run differential in the NL at minus 108. But the team with the second worst run differential in the NL is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, This is a battle of two of the poor teams in the majors so far this season, and the Nats, to their credit, have taken the first two games of this series. So, yeah, Patrick Corbin, I mean, he was fantastic on Tuesday night, okay? We have been 
very honest about Patrick Corbin over the two years of this podcast, okay? He's been horrible over the last two seasons. So let us shower him with bouquets for what he did on Tuesday night, because I don't know the next time that we'll be able to do this here. One run in eight innings, 12 strikeouts. I mean, that's the line of an ace. One run in eight innings, 12 strikeouts. He gave up just five hits, a homer, and four singles. He issued two walks. He threw 113 pitches, 73 strikes versus 40 balls. Now, I mentioned the Pirates. They're a bad team. They are a particularly bad offensive team. So that needs to be noted. The Pirates came into this game on Tuesday, 28th out of 30 major league teams in team-weighted runs created plus this season. 100 is average. The Pirates team weighted runs created plus coming into Tuesday, a mere 84. So that has to be understood. You weren't facing the Yankees or the Astros or the Mets or the Dodgers or anybody like that. But still, you know, Corbin himself has been really bad so far this season. So the bad of Corbin versus the bad of the Pirates offense, Corbin won that battle. And Mark, I mean, this was shocking to see him do as he did. And the strikeouts, I think that's what stands out more than anything. We've talked about this, how he has declined so much as a strikeout pitcher, in particular these last few seasons, 12 strikeouts on Tuesday night. And he hadn't come anywhere close to that total in the last three years. Eight was his previous high this year. I don't believe he had gotten to 10 since 2019. And now he goes and matches his career high. The last time that he struck out 12 in a game was game four of the NLCS against the Cardinals when he did it in five innings, amazingly. That was a crazy performance by him that night in the pennant-clinching game. It was the strikeouts that really stood out to me. The slider was really on point and was throwing it a little bit harder. And We've talked a lot about his velocity having been up, both the fastball and the slider. I think you saw a difference it makes here. And we've been talking about for a couple of years how the slider is only effective when the hitter believes it's a fastball coming out of his hand. So if it's coming out at 84 miles an hour instead of, say, 80, 81, that might be enough of a difference to help disguise it for that split second, make a hitter think it's a fastball, and then swing over the top of it as it darts down and away from them. It was a good matchup for him against this lineup, like you pointed out. Pirates also have several left-handed hitters. I mean, he, he made O'Neill Cruz look silly in those at-bats. He owned O'Neill Cruz in those at-bats. I'm sure the kid had never seen a slider like that coming up through the minors. So it was a favorable situation for him. We need to see him do this, maybe not quite to this extent, but we need to see him have some success again against some other teams. But if nothing else, it's a confidence boost for a guy who needed it. And to me, the fact that Davey sends him back out for the eighth inning, I mean, I thought he was done after seven. You're, You're at 99 pitches, one run, like take it, and get out of here and go home and be thrilled for the next five days and feel good about yourself again. And Davey showed some faith in him to go back out for the eighth. And what did he do with that? He struck out the side. I mean, you don't finish any stronger than that. And he deservedly got a standing ovation from the crowd as he walked off the mound. I can only imagine deep down inside Patrick Corbin's heart what that meant to him, what that felt like to him to finally to have that faith shown in him and then to reward them for that faith. No doubt. I mean, Davey Martinez has stood by Patrick Corbin publicly. And, you know, it's tricky because there's a big part of you that says, all right, Davey, whatever. Like, Davey's just doing his sort of Pratt of the boys thing. And he's doing what, honestly, he has to do because he has no option. Corbin's not going anywhere. So what are you going to do? Rip the guy publicly after every bad outing? Like, no. So Davey has backed Corbin. But Maybe, you know, there is some validity to it and maybe there is some feeling of, no, I do still see some good things in this guy. I mean, I still go back to what Mike Rizzo said to you guys a few weeks ago. 
where he was pretty much talking up Corbin, saying, look, you know, the velocity is there, the spin rate is there. He, he basically only said Corbin just needs to stop nibbling and challenge guys more. And it's interesting, we have seen Corbin lately become a bit more of a strikeout pitcher. You know, it's funny you brought up game four of the 2019 NLCS. That is one of the more whacked out postseason pitching performances I can ever remember. For those who don't remember, 7-4 win over St. Louis at Nationals Park to clinch the pen. And Corbin in that game, four runs in five innings, and yet he had 12 strikeouts. He became the first pitcher in postseason history to have 10 strikeouts in the first four innings of a postseason game. Such an odd game. Some greatness from Corbin and then some things that weren't so good. And uh, I don't know, in some ways, maybe it kind of foreshadowed what was to come. But yeah, you know, the other thing too is a game like Tuesday nights does remind you, does show you that within Corbin somewhere is still that 2019 guy. And that's part of why he hasn't gone anywhere in terms of being removed from the rotation. A big part of it, obviously, is the Nats don't have any better options. Another part of it, of course, is the contract, six for 140. But it's like during these last three years in which he's been so bad, there have been some good performances. It's not like every game he's getting shellacked. And so when you see something like what we saw on Tuesday night, you say to yourself, why can't we see that more often? There is still something there with Patrick Corbin. And I think that's what Davey is saying with this. And um, yeah, some of it is him as a manager having to prop up a struggling player. But I think deep down, Davey does believe what you just said. He knows who this guy was for him. He knows they don't win a World Series without him. And so he knows it's got to still be in there somewhere. It, this is not like been talking about for, God, three years now. This is not a case of a guy who has been hurt. We don't see a dramatic drop off in the velocity or the stuff. He's essentially trying to be the same pitcher he was then and just not having success with it. So you can say, well, he's got to learn how to adapt and and all that has come back to haunt him. But he does just enough like this to make you say, okay, when he is on, he still does have this. He still has the ability to be really good. And I, I think Davey genuinely believes that. And it's funny, when when a guy does for you what Corbin did in October of 19, especially, you're going to be loyal to him for the rest of your life. You know, Again, they do not win the World Series without Patrick Corbin. And that has probably earned him a lot more rope than maybe somebody else in this situation would have. Yeah. Although it's kind of funny is that the bulk of his quality pitching that month was as a reliever, not as a starter, which some might say is what he should be doing now. But that's another conversation. And that's not happening now. Uh, Not off what he did against the Pirates on Tuesday night. So terrific job for Patrick Corbin, just to round out the Nats pitching on Tuesday night. So for one of the few times this season, the Nats end up only using one reliever or fewer in a game. Tanner Rainey ends up being that guy ultimately gets the job done, but again, he does not have a clean inning. Uh, Tosses a scoreless top of the ninth, gets the save, but he issues another walk, a one-out seven-pitch walk of pinch hitter Daniel Vogelback, and then gives up a two-out pinch single to Bly Madris. So, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's funny with Rainey. Like, he has a very mixed statistical profile this year. He has an ERA at 288, which isn't bad. Strikeouts per nine innings, 10.8. That's pretty good. But the whip is at 132. He's averaging nearly four walks per nine innings. And right now, when he comes into the game, you don't feel like you're getting three up, three down. You feel like there's going to be a duck or two on the pond. And uh, sure enough, we had that again on Tuesday night. And it usually involves a walk. Like we said, that kind of usually gets the ball rolling and gets him into trouble. And it's exactly what happened here. You know, when we've talked about him and Finnegan, it's why I keep saying, I know Finnegan has his ups and downs, but I feel like Finnegan's 
best right now is better than Rainey's best. Finnegan has those innings that you say, boy, he looked dominant. He's blowing away often very good hitters in the middle of a lineup. Whereas Rainey, even when he's having success, it's often one of these where it's a little bit harrowing and you never really feel 100% confident in it. Now, that said, his last pitch of the game is a 100-mile-an-hour fastball for strike three to strand the uh, you know tying runs on base. So, again, he has it in him. Yes, you would just like to see a few more of those clean innings. But I will also say this. Between the two of them, and we'll add Carl Edwards Jr. to this as well, these guys have pitched a lot in the last week. Or so. And that's a great sign because it means the team is in competitive games down to the end, something they have not been for quite a while. But I think part of the reason that Corbin pitched the eighth was because Davey knew he couldn't keep going to all of them again. It probably would not have been Edwards or Finnegan in the eighth. It might have been Erasmo Ramirez. And then you get to a point, okay, Rainey's available tonight. We'll let him pitch the ninth. That's it. What you'd love in a perfect scenario would be for them to have a blowout win. And then they have a day off on Thursday. Maybe you can avoid using those guys altogether because they really have been worked a lot here in the last week. Yeah. And like with what happened on Sunday, Rainey should have never had to have pitched in that game. You know, that was the Francisco Perez game and uh, he got option the next day. I mean, he was that bad. But like that, that's a that's an example of a spot in which Rainey should have never had to have been used. And yet uh, he ended up being used in that game. Martinez leads off second. He doubled in two runs. And now Corbin to the bell. And the 0-2 to Ozuna all the way. Swing and a miss. Struck him out in a ball in the dirt. Blocked out in front. Combs chases it down. Fires to Zimmerman. And the side retired. Twelfth strikeout for Patrick Corbin in a great recovery to get out of the inning. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of Legal Headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. Roaming Rooster, the best fried chicken sandwich in the DMV, is expanding. You've already seen our location by Section 238 at Nationals Park, but now we have recently opened locations in Pike and Rose in Maryland, and in Virginia, we now have Burke and Chantilly. Our chicken is grain-fed, antibiotic-free, and only free-range. Roaming Rooster is serving homemade enhanced bun milkshakes and frozen custard scoops at select locations and currently working on rolling them out to all locations. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Brady to the belt. The pitch. Check swing in there. Strike three call. The game is over. A curly W's in the books. Rainey strikes out Hoy Park to end it. And the Nationals clinch themselves a series victory with their third straight win. Well, the Nats in their win on Monday night over the Pirates, 3-2 victory, got a big home run from Michael Franco in a two-run eighth inning. Franco had a two-out first pitch, two-run homer to left field for a 3-2 Nats lead. And sure enough, the Nats in their 3-1 win over the Pirates at Nationals Park on Tuesday night had another two-run eighth inning in which the Nats took the lead. Uh, The game was tied at one, entering the bottom of the eighth. We then had a Nats rally, and the rally came against Pirates reliever Will Crow, who was one of two players who the Nats dealt to the Pirates in the trade for Josh Bell on Christmas Eve 2020. Bell, in fact, began the bottom of the eighth, a leadoff infield single to the right side of the infield. We then, later in the inning, got a tremendous walk from Cesar Hernandez, who has gone from like never drawing walks to now drawing a ton of walks over the last few weeks. So Cesar Hernandez on Tuesday night was the Nats' number six batter, one for two with a double and two more walks. And the walk that he had in the bottom of the eighth inning, really impressive. A two-out, eight-pitch walk despite having been down in the count at one point, 0-2. He kept that inning alive despite being down 0-2 with a couple of strikes on him. So Cesar Hernandez gets on base via another walk, and then comes the big hit of the game. Yadiel Hernandez, pinch, two out, two run double off the right field warning track for a 3-1 Nats lead. Davey Martinez's uh, pinch hitting deployment in this inning worked out well. Used Luis Garcia initially. He got on base via force out. Then Yadiel comes through with the big hit. And the Nats, like you said, just two hits with runners in scoring position so far in this series. But the two hits have been the two game-winning hits. It's brilliant. Brilliant. You're making the very most of whatever opportunities you have, right? Let's talk about the pinch hitting because this is not something they've done very much this year at all. And you had in this situation two pinch hitters in the inning. And I was a little surprised at the first one putting Luis Garcia up there to bat for Michael Franco, who, as we know, was the hero on uh, Monday night. Now, this time he's facing a righty. He maybe thinks it's a good matchup for Garcia. Luis ends up hitting a ground ball. Now, he hustled down the line, prevented a double play from being a possibility that kept the inning going. But I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, this is now going to end up with Alcides Escobar at the plate because that would be the guy you'd hold Garcia back for. And I wasn't thinking about the fact that, no, you know what? 
Davey still has a couple aces in the hole on the bench. He can pinch hit Yadiel Hernandez for Escobar, and he still has another backup infielder in A. Ray Adrianza. So we've talked about all this time, why do they need extra infielders on their bench? They never use them. For the first time all season, it paid off. The presence of Adrianza to then come in and play the field in the ninth allowed Davey to pinch hit Yadiel Hernandez for an infielder, Escobar, and he gets the big double. So in this American League style DH baseball, you just haven't seen very much of this. But in the end, I like the way Davey utilized everybody off his bench with the game on the line in the eighth inning. Yeah, it worked out well. And all the credit to Yadiel Hernandez coming through with that very impressive hit. I mean, Yadiel was really hot for a while, has since calmed down, but he's had some hits now in this series, has the big double in this win on Tuesday night. And just to go back to Cesar Hernandez and the walks, first 34 games this season, he had six walks. Last 42 games, he has 18 walks. It's been an odd deal here with him, right? Because He's coming off a season in which he hit the most home runs that he's ever hit, even though his slugging percentage for the year wasn't very good, but he hit a bunch of home runs. This year, he's not hitting for much power at all. He's in the number one spot, which you think would would mean, hey, you got to draw some walks. He initially wasn't drawing like any walks. And now that he's not always in the number one spot, we're seeing him walk more. But he's doing a better job here. And, it, you know, it's good to see. I mean, the overall numbers are still not that great for Cesar Hernandez. But I give him credit. He's, he's gone from, like, never doing this, getting walks, to now getting walks on a pretty consistent basis. He's drawn four walks over the first two games of this series. Yeah, and I'm glad you've noticed it because I've kind of felt it as well. Like, wow, this guy is actually for the first time, really working the count and drawing his walks. And listen, if you're not going to hit for power, and if you're going to hit at the top of the lineup, although he hasn't been hitting leadoff here, or he wasn't in this game, then you need to at least find your way on base in other ways. And he's doing that. You know, it's a 320 on base percentage, which isn't anything special, but off a 262 batting average, it's not terrible, 60 point difference. So he's finding a way. This is not the player he was last year at all. I don't know if this is by design or just the way it's gone that this is who he's turned into now, but that was a really impressive at bat under those circumstances, working his way through it to draw the walk, and it is something he's done more, hasn't been too aggressive at the plate, and you know, just like we talk about Juan Soto, sometimes you just have to accept your walks, trust the guy behind you. That's been tough when your team struggles as much as this one is to hit with runners in scoring position, but if you're not getting the pitches yourself, don't chase, don't expand the zone. Take your walk. Trust that the guy behind you can get the job done. In this case, it worked. A couple of other uh, offensive observations for the Nats on Tuesday night. Mark mentioned Juan Soto. He went one for three with a single and a walk, so he got on base two more times in this game. Uh, rough game for Victor Robles, who, as we have remarked, is not an every game player for the Nats right now. He's playing one out of every three games, maybe two out of every three games, depending on the series. But uh, Robles on Tuesday night, 0 for 4 with a strikeout, left five men on base. And yes, you did hear the name Alcides Escobar. We had an Alcides Escobar sighting on Tuesday night. He played in a game for the first time since the Nats reinstated him from the 10-day injured list the previous Tuesday, June 21st. We went a week with Alcides back on the Major League team, uh, just hanging out on the bench and uh, not playing in games. Well, he played on Tuesday night. He was an Nats starting shortstop and number seven batter, one for three with a single, uh, bottom of the fourth, a one-out first pitch single to left field. Uh, I saw you noted this. This was Luis Garcia's first game off since being recalled from AAA Rochester on June 1st. Quite a run. He played for nearly a month straight 
for the Nats as their starting shortstop. Right. 25 straight games that he started. So I, I understand there were a lot of fans when I put the lineup out in the afternoon who were like screaming at me as if I had anything to do with it. Why are they benching Garcia, especially off a three hit game? Well, it's because he played 25 in a row. It's because Davey maps these things out a few days in advance. He's not basing that decision off of what the guy did the night before. He knew they were facing a lefty, so maybe a little bit better matchup for Escobar. And listen, if Alcides Escobar is going to be on your team, and he is, then you have to use him at some point. It's not doing anybody any good to have a guy waste away on the bench. So I thought this was an appropriate time to do it. Garcia will be back in there on Wednesday. Team has Thursday off, so it's kind of a nice little breather for him. And as it turned out, he got to get into the game in a big spot in the eighth inning. And it's nice to have a, a guy who's hitting pretty well available to you to pick your spot late in the game to do that with. So I, I had no problem with him taking this game off. And, you know, don't be surprised if there's a few more of them along the way. Yes, he is the future. He's not losing his starting job to anybody. He is their starting shortstop, going to play Almost every day, but that doesn't mean he literally plays every day. Yeah. I mean, if Alcides starts a game, one game a month, that's okay. Like, uh, Luis Garcia is not trying to break Cal Ripken Jr.'s Ironman record, right? Like, it's okay to take a game or two off. And, you know, sometimes less is more. He gets a game off. He can maybe rest a little bit and maybe he's more productive moving forward. But yes, we did see uh, Alcides Escobar in the game on Tuesday night. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It feels like everything is going up these days, including home prices. And so there's no better time to have the look of your home go up and the value of your home go up with new windows from Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. Take advantage of this offer. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. Window Nation offers 1,500 custom window combinations, including vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Window Nation is the best. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask for the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small town charm and big league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit bigtrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July. And on 2-2, Rutledge, strike three, call. Until they were in their mid to late 20s. On 1-2, De Leon is another strikeout victim. In lead for the Fred Nats here. Two strikes, two outs, and has struck out the side. A few other things with the Nats here from Tuesday night. So Anibal Sanchez on Tuesday night made a minor league rehab assignment start for AAA Rochester. Two runs in two and two-thirds innings in a uh, 4-2 loss for Rochester at home to the Worcester Red Sox. With Anibal Sanchez, I mean, I'm assuming he may be at AAA for a while here, that they're, they're not trying to push this and rush this, or you think that we might actually see 
old Anibal pitching at the major league level sooner than uh, I'm making it sound like. Well, you're allowed 30 days on a rehab assignment for a pitcher. And so even if he's pitching well, they want to build him up and let him get to a full starter's workload. So that's going to be at least three starts, if not more than that, I would think. And based on the way the first one went, not that great. So I don't think they're feeling like they have to. But I know you've rolled your eyes at this. You know, what are they doing? Why do they need this guy? Why would they put him back out there? At the moment, no, the rotation's been great. You don't need Annabelle Sanchez. But we don't know what's going to happen here moving forward. Is Jackson Tatro really the guy we've seen the last two starts? Maybe he is, but we don't know that for sure. Can Paolo Espino keep this up? We don't know. Can Patrick Corbin keep this up? Can everybody else stay healthy? Annabelle's earned the right to build his arm back up. And if he gets to a point that it's clear that he's healthy enough and having some kind of success there, and you do have a need in the rotation, then you activate him and you bring him back. If that doesn't happen, or if the rotation is in a good position and you don't feel like you need it, you say, thank you, Annabelle. We appreciate it. We gave you the opportunity, but we don't really need your services anymore. So I think it's fine to be doing this. I would bet we see him at some point, but he's still got to earn it himself, both in terms of building himself up, but also at some point has to have some success. First one out, maybe not as big a deal, but by the second to third rehab outings, you want to see some level of performance there. Another guy who pitched well on Tuesday night in the Nationals organization was Jackson Rutledge. We have not talked about Jackson Rutledge. Uh, The Nats took Jackson Rutledge in the first round of the 2019 MLB draft. He is a pitcher. Uh, He was taken out of San Jacinto College, which is a public community college in Texas. He is one of many recent first round picks for the Nats who has not yet panned out. Uh, He's pitching for the Fred Nats here this season. He has not had a good season so far, but Rutledge on Tuesday night, seven scoreless innings, eight strikeouts. I know when you talk with Mike Rizzo, you only have so much time. There are only so many topics you can cover. Has he talked about Jackson Rutledge and kind of where he's at and what the Nats might be thinking, or has Rutledge not come up yet this season with Mike? Uh, Not a lot. I'm trying to remember the last time that maybe it did. Um, It's not to say that they've given up on him, certainly, but they also know that you know, number one, he's got to be healthy. And then number two, he's got to pitch effectively enough to now work his way up the ladder. And he's still at, you know, a ball. So I don't think he's in anybody's immediate plans. But the long run, yeah, they would love to see him finally put this all together. They know it's been a tough road for him, as it's been for so many of their first round picks. It's good to see him have some success. You know, let's start with that. If he's healthy, enjoying, uh, you know, a good night on the mound, Now can he take that and apply it the next time out and keep doing it? Maybe they'll start to move him up the organizational ladder. But for now, it's really more about the guys who are at AAA, Cade Cavalli, and Cole Henry. And I think those are the two names we're going to hear about the most. And, you know, for Rutledge, get through the season healthy. We'll probably see him in spring training. Now you can start talking about what is his timeline potentially to make it to the big leagues. But he's got a ways to go. The Nats took a pitcher in the first round of three consecutive MLB drafts, 2017 through 2019. Seth Romero in 2017. Ufa. Mason Denneberg in 2018. Major injury problems. And Jackson Rutledge in 2019. Boy, that is a rough stretch right there. And uh, as we have discussed, that's a big part of why the Nats are where they are. But the pitching right now is quite good. So who needs young pitching when you have the likes of Patrick Corbin and Jackson Tatro killing it for you at the major league level right now? And I have to, before we go, I do have to call out 
Tim Shovers, who I know can't respond, can't stand up for himself right now because he's only listening in, doesn't have the microphone. But I heard last time Corbin pitched, I heard what Tim said, that why can't they just use anybody else next time out? Why do we need to see Corbin again? So Tim has to eat his words on this one because Corbin was better than anyone else that they might have had to fill in for one start. Well, maybe someone else would have thrown eight scoreless innings on Tuesday night. Who knows? I mean, these were the Pirates. They are bad. Let's make that clear. Uh, they are bad. Hey, the Nats have yet to register a series sweep this season. Paolo Espino on the mound Wednesday afternoon, 105, Nationals Park. Make sure you wear your secret weapon t-shirts. If you don't have one, natschatpodcast.square.site. But how beautiful would it be if Paolo pitched the Nats to a sweep of the Buccos at Nationals Park on Wednesday afternoon. And I'll give Tim credit for this one because I saw him tweet this earlier. I believe, if he has this right, the last three-game sweep the Nationals had was last June against the Pirates. So so there you go. It's all coming together. And Paolo, the pressure is on you now to finish it off and complete the circle. Boy, that fact says a lot about a lot, now doesn't it? And uh, we'll just leave that there. Uh, You tell us what you think. Hey, Nats are doing well. We're getting a little giddy here on Nats Chat. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already doing that. Subscribing costs you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Well, if we can't look to the cookie, where can we look? Oh, my stomach. I feel like I'm going to throw up. Wait, what about your vomit streak? I know, I haven't thrown up since June 29th, 1980.